introduce yourself. We are so glad to have you here with us today as we worship. today 
as we worship and come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. You can be seated as we continue, please, this morning. started out in the first service high it's still good uh, you still have some energy well it's so good to see you in the Lord's house today uh, please reach in the book rack right there in front of you and pull out one of those little black folders if you'll be so kind to put your name on that and give it to a person sitting next to you or near you 
uh, we'll appreciate that. Inside your uh, courier today, we have our, our Focus 13 prayer list. Uh, some of you signed up last week to be a summer prayer. Uh, actually, we had quite a few people sign up. Uh, if you weren't here last week, just let me give you a little summary of what this is all about. Every summer from June, July, and August, what we try to do is face it, try to stay focused as a church because we have a lot of summer ministry going on and we don't want to miss the opportunity of it. And so what we're trying to do in the summer is do two things. We're trying to grow spiritually. We don't want to let down our guard. We want to keep... We want to keep that momentum, that spiritual momentum that each and every one of us have going in the right direction. And that's what the first requests are about. We're praying for each other that our vacation is going to be something more than just something for ourselves, but God's going to be an important part of our vacation. You know, if you pray about that, God will bring it to pass in your life, uh, that God's going to protect our quiet time. And to me, that's the most important thing. And so if you'll sign up to pray this simple little list that we have here, June, July, and August, five days a week, uh, and you put your name on this, I'll put your name on my prayer list, and I'll pray for you five days a week, June, July, and August, that God would guard you, keep you focused uh, throughout the summertime in a spiritual way. So please sign up. We'd like to get at least 200 people this year that said, listen, I want to be a part of the team uh, we're going to do everything that we can to keep focused and keep the ministry healthy and vibrant throughout the summertime. You can put that in the offering plate this morning or in the offering boxes after. Also this summer, we're going to be doing some other things just to kind of generate fellowship among us. And uh, June 2nd, which is just two weeks away after the, uh, this service, we're going to have like a picnic out here you don't have to go home. Just stay and eat with us. The food will be provided. Uh, just kind of put circle that on your calendar June 2nd. Let's stand together, please, as our ushers come this morning and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. Again, we thank you for uh, your generosity to the church. We appreciate it a lot. Uh, it uh, just helps everything run so much more smoothly here in the ministry uh, when uh, finances are... Uh, at the place they should be every week, and we, we know that you make that possible. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love and uh, your blessing upon us. Uh, we thank you for the great spirit of our church today. We pray that as we receive the gifts of your people, which you've given so bountifully to us, that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated.
would you stand with us one last time? This next song talks about it is in Christ alone that all our foundation is set. No power of hell can ever take us away from Christ. So as we sing this this morning, let the heavens be smiling because we are worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yeah. 
seated, please. Aren't you glad to be here this morning? And uh, to worship, I think that song's going to be sung in heaven, don't you? No power of death can hold me back. Thank you, Mike. This morning, we are thankful that you're here to worship with us and praise our God. I want to talk to you this morning about this thought of being joyfully satisfied. Wouldn't you like to have both those words in your life? Joy and satisfied. To be joyfully satisfied at the same time. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 is where we're going to start. But uh, today I want to just share with you a brief story. A funny thing happened in Maryland several years ago. A lady named Edith, she was a mother of eight, was coming home from a neighbor's home on a Saturday afternoon. As she walked into the living room, she saw five of her youngest children huddled together concentrating with intense interest on something. As she slipped near them, trying to discover the center of attraction, she couldn't believe her eyes. Right there in the midst of all five of these children were five little baby skunks. She's alarmed, and she does what any mother would do. She screams, children, run! And what do the children do? Each one of them grab a skunk and run. And you know, isn't that true what our life is like? Sometimes you just are trying to get the plane rolling. You've got some, a little bit of wind in your sail, and all of a sudden you run into a sandbar. It's like going into a room full of skunks. You know, you're, you're, the energy's going, there's a lot of good things happening, then all of a sudden, just come right to a stop because we have to deal with a negative circumstance, a, a negative issue. And that, that happens so much in our lives. Today, we'd like to look into God's Word. God's Word is filled with biographies of men and women who faced insurmountable odds, and they still achieved victory, and they maintained joyful, contagious joy. They experienced pain, but they never let go of their contagious joy. There once lived a man who became a Christian as an adult, and he left the security of his career to follow Christ. Persecution became his constant companion. He was misunderstood by his friends, and he was hated by his enemies. Nevertheless, he pressed on joyfully. This man was a brilliant scholar. He was an eloquent, eloquent public speaker. He was a fearless lawyer. He was a religious theologian, a flaming evangelist. He once boasted in his own attainments, but later he changed his focus to Jesus Christ and his power. If there's anyone that had a reason to give in to the despair and claim that he was a victim to circumstances. It was the Apostle Paul. This morning, if you'll join me, let's read what the Apostle Paul wrote to us. This is his letter to the church at Philippi. And we're going to pick up in verse 12 of chapter 1. But just keep in mind as we read this that the Apostle Paul is writing these things in jail. He's in chains as he's writing this to the church. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here in the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full coverage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I am to live in the flesh. If I am to live into the, into the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This morning... When we think of Jesus becoming central to our lives, he makes a big difference in our life. He changes our focus on three of the the killers of joy. We all want this joy, but there's so many things that get in the way of this joy. We look at circumstances, we look at people, we look at things, and these can rob our joy. But from the passage this morning, I'd like to just share with you three, three ways that we can deal with those joy killers. First of all is our circumstances. God broadens the dimensions of our circumstances. He broadens the dimensions of our circumstances. As the Apostle Paul was in jail and he's writing this letter, the Apostle Paul saw that there was another dimension to God's work. It looked like hope was gone. It looked like suffering was insurmountable. But he is saying, whoa, this is bigger than I am. God is doing a work. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's saying, I'm in jail, and this is really happening to advance the, the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The apostle Paul had been in prison in Rome for preaching and teaching the gospel. This is what he did. He was a preacher. He went out and he shared the good news of Jesus Christ. God put him on several missionary journeys. As a matter of fact, the church, the Philippian church, remembered 10 years earlier in Acts chapter 16. Paul was on his second missionary journey. Paul and Silas in jail. And they remember that. They remember the divine jailbreak. Paul was no friend to the jail, no no stranger to the jail. Uh, He was was quite often a visitor there. and, uh, And they would put him in there. And so today we see that the Apostle Paul says that, look, even now, even though I'm back in jail again and it looks like it's not very good, I want to tell you, don't give up hope. Don't give up your joy. As a matter of fact, while I'm in this prison, God's work is going forward. The mission is progressing. God's mission. Matthew 28, 18. The mission of the church is to preach the gospel, to make disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. Well, this is what God's mission was. And the Apostle Paul says, the gospel. 
the very message that Jesus gave us to carry, has not been halted by my imprisonment. As a matter of fact, it's going forward. I am sharing my faith in this, in this prison. The whole imperial guard knows what's going on. They're hearing about Jesus. You know, isn't that exciting? That here in the midst of this bad moment of his life, he is still staying strong. He's still pressing on towards the mark of the high calling of Jesus in his life, and he is doing the work of God. But not only that, the Christian church is also being encouraged. Verse 114 says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. And how could that happen? How could this be that the, the, the Apostle Paul is in jail and the work is getting stronger? Well, this happened because, number one, they saw that Paul had joy in the midst of circumstances like this. They saw that in the midst of this trial that Paul had joy. Number two, they saw that God would take care of Paul in such circumstance. They noticed that God was caring and, and that Paul was, Paul was not abandoning God. Paul was not saying, boy, this is, this is the end. He said that God is still taking care of him. And number three, they saw that God would still use Paul even while in prison. Even under these negative circumstances that God was still using the apostle. So Paul was facing suffering from the authorities, but he was satisfied in Christ. This is where he was drawing his joy. His joy wasn't coming from the circumstances. Because as he was in the circumstance and he looked at the jail, and he's writing and he's still doing the work of God from the jail, it looked bleak. It looked grim. But he kept going and he didn't look to the circumstance for his joy. And I believe that today this is one area of our life that we've got to look beyond is our circumstances there is another dimension that God is working in your life. There are so many circumstances that are negative that you have to deal with. And God has another dimension. Some of it you may not understand. You may not be able to see it right now. But there is another dimension to what God is doing in your life. That's what the Apostle Paul did. He was satisfied. He was satisfied with God. He was satisfied and he had trust in God's plan and God's purpose. And he was able to draw joy from this almighty God. This morning I want you to think about your life and how do we satisfy our life in this world. We live in a world that tells you to get satisfied by going out and just doing things. Maybe being involved with relationships. You know, relationships would satisfy you or uh, Buying a new car might satisfy you. Know, buying a new car satisfies you for a while until the first payment comes, doesn't it? And then, and then it's kind of, ooh, I can't believe I did that. You know? uh, Jesus talked about satisfaction. He said that he was the bread of life. Now that's awesome. That's satisfaction. He said that he is the living water, and anybody who drinks of that living water would never thirst again. That is awesome. That is satisfaction. That's what happened in my life. I came here and somebody gave me the living water and I drank of it and I have been drinking of Jesus ever since. And my life has changed. And I don't need to go out and get all these other things that the world offers. They're all temporary. They're all things that fade. They quickly, quickly pass. And God says, I am the living water. Let me satisfy your soul. 
This is what the Apostle Paul understood. He understood that Jesus was his satisfaction. And with that satisfaction, he was able to draw on the joy of the Lord. He was able to draw on that. And in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the negative circumstance, he saw the dimension of God's work in his life. Next, I want you to look at this. He says that uh, the next thing I'd like to challenge you to is this, that God delivers us from a preoccupation with others. He delivers us from a preoccupation with others. We live in a world where we want everybody to like us and this and that. We're going through this thing and we, we, we want just everything to look good. But you know what? The Apostle Paul dealt with not so good things. He dealt with wrong motives. People around him were serving while he was in jail under the pretense that, oh yeah, Paul, now we're going to be able to get a little bit ahead of Paul. He's down for a time. Some indeed preach Christ from, em- from envy and strife. Paul knew that some preached because they wanted to surpass his ministry and to promote their own name and place above the apostle. Paul wasn't so cynical to think that everybody was like that, but he said that, he said that these people were glad that Paul was in prison. If you look at the text there, he says that the people were glad that he was in prison so that they could catapult their ministry just a few steps further. But he also understood that some preached from good motives as well. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't throwing everybody out. He said, listen, don't worry. Some are preaching from bad motives. Some are preaching from good motives. In the end, they're still preaching Christ. And this is what counts. God is still glorified. God is being magnified through their ministry. And so even while I'm down, and there are people that are doing this out of selfish ambition. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul's readings, you'll see that the Apostle Paul uh, writings, everything that he wrote, he was very ambitious. He excelled for God. So he wasn't against ambition. It was selfish ambition. And this concept that I'm doing it for myself, But as long as the message was on, even if they were doing it a little bit selfishly, out of that little competitive edge, he said, it's okay. It's okay because God is still being glorified in their life. God is still being glorified. The mission is being advanced out there. Paul found this morning joy. Paul found joy from God. He didn't get his joy from people. He didn't get it from circumstances. We live in a a world that's filled with approval. We need approval. You you did good at work, you get a raise. You did good, maybe you get a bonus this year, you know? Did anybody ever get a bonus for coming in late to work? You know, that that just doesn't happen, all right? We live in an approval-based world, and God is not into the approval basin. He loves you for who he is. God is love, and he's the one who has put this into your life. Paul found joy not in his circumstances, not in people, but in Christ alone. And his whole goal was to be satisfied in Christ. Verse 18 says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He's rejoicing because the message, God's work. He's not lining his will. He's not coming and saying, God, you've got to do what I want to do. He's aligning his will over to God's. And he's saying, all right, God, I'll do what you want me to do. And if that means going through jail, and that means other preachers are going to take this on out there and and this and that, and all this is going to happen. He goes, whatever, Lord. 
And I have great joy from you because I have aligned up. He didn't ask God to come over and line to his will. He went over and joined God where he was working. And this is so exciting for you and I today because we don't have to be stressing out over temporary things to try and get our joy from them. Philippians 1, 19 through 21, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored. He will be magnified. He will be seen as great in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says that his great passion in life is to make Christ be seen as great. And this is what our calling in life is. My life is to make Christ be seen as great. It's not about Ken. It's about God. Your life, God has called you to make God be seen as great in your life. We're to reflect his image. We reflect his power to praise him. And as we come to that point in our life where we get this satisfaction, God is even more glorified in our life. Verse 20 and 21, there's a, there's a relationship there between the two words. He says, because for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Notice life in verse 20 corresponds in verse 21 to live and verse 21 uh, in verse 20 death corresponds to verse 21 die so he's talking here he says listen whether it is either or whether i'm stuck here in this jail cell or i go to heaven it is all for god's glory And he's talking about how this God, he is satisfied in God. Whether I am in this jail, and this jail is not too exciting right now, folks, or whether I get to go to be with God, which that would be way more exciting than being in this jail. God is glorified. And I want him to be glorified because I am satisfied in him. I want him to be seen as great. As a matter of fact, Philippians 3.8 says this. The Apostle Paul said this. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So Christ is more precious, more valuable, more satisfying than all that life on this earth can give. Nothing in this world can compare with that relationship with Christ. He's basically saying, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul was satisfied. We need to be satisfied. Because whether we live or whether we die, he calms our fears for the future. He calms our fears regarding the future. As we look at the future, you start looking at your future, thinking about your life and thinking about what the days ahead are. God says that, He is in charge. And when I come back and I come back to that truth that God is in charge, I can now relax. I can now find joy. I don't have to fret because what's going to happen tomorrow? When when will these things occur and this and that? All the things in my life that you worry about, you worry about your future. God says that he is in charge. Look at verse 23. He says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, 
for that is far better. He's saying that death is gained because it means a greater closeness of being with Christ. Death is to depart and be with Christ. So it, whether he lives or whether he dies, he wants to glorify God. And that's what we want to do in our life. Today, as you, you think about living for God, when you think about living for God, sometimes there's a sacrifice that we think of the, of the things that we will lose. Uh, maybe it's time, time that you would do other things. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your, your attention. All these things that you, you could be doing, but instead you went and served and did something for God. But also in death, think of the sacrifice here. The Apostle Paul is looking at death, and he says, okay, what's the sacrifice of death? Wouldn't be with his people that he loves so dearly anymore. Wouldn't be able to have certain pleasures of the world. Wouldn't have certain things, and this would be the sacrifice. So from this point of view, he says, if I sacrifice here or if I sacrifice there, God is still glorified because I am satisfied in him. And it will be much more gain because when he goes to be with God, death for a Christian, we have nothing to fear. If you've opened your heart and accepted Christ as your Savior, there is nothing to fear because God has calmed our fear. So this morning there are several joy robbers, things that will kill our joy. Number one is our circumstances. They can shake our faith. People can discourage us. You can just get so discouraged. You know, if you, if you look at people all the time and, and you see, see what's happening and this and that, you can get discouraged from people. And there are also things can distract us, the, the things of this world. You know, we just, there's just logistics that we have to do. We have to go to work every day. We have to take care of the lawn. We have to take care of our family. There's all these things. To experience his abundant, overflowing joy involves a choice, though. Joy is a choice. This is a choice this morning. We need joy in our world. Think about it. When you go home and you open up the newspaper, how many good stories are in there? Most of the time, it's about the negative things that have happened. You read the headlines, you know, we're, we're at war over here, or this, this terrorism is doing this. It's always something negative. I think the good stories are in the very back, you know, there's just like a wee little thing, you know. They, ne they never put a, uh, the little league scores in there anymore, unless you're, I think maybe the Mon Valley paper may do that, but most of them don't put too much good news. Um, how about when you turn on TV and you watch a sitcom? And a lot of even, even the humors and the sitcom that we see today, they're picking on somebody's weaknesses and kind of making a spectacle of the person. How about when you just turn on and watch the weather? You just want to get the weather report? How many times have you seen that uh, tomorrow will be cloudy with a 20% chance of rain? Especially in Pittsburgh. You know, I think we see more of that. When's the last time you saw anybody report the weather and say, mostly clear with 80% chance of sunshine? You know, it just, it, you just don't ever hear that. 80% chance of sunshine. We always talk about the negative things. Joy, we need to infuse joy. And as believers, God has called you to spread joy in our world. Spread joy at your workplace. Spread joy at your family. You can't change people's circumstances. Circumstances exist. But you are called to be joyful, to call on the Lord's joy. Get his joy from from him and impart that to other people. I like what Chuck Swindoll says about joy. He says, joy is a positive attitude we must choose to express. You must choose to be joyful. 
It's an attitude we choose to express. It's not pie in the sky. It doesn't come and go like the wind. Our circumstances do not determine our joy. Where then does joy come from? Well, let's look at the source of joy. Let's look at the source of this kind of joy that the Apostle Paul had. It is a, uh, let me continue with uh, Chuck Swindoll's definition of joy. He says, It is a matter of attitude that stems from your confidence in God. Now that changes everything, doesn't it? It's no longer about the guy who's always smiling and got a little pep in his step. It is about a matter of attitude that stems from your confidence in God. In other words, yes, this is hard, this is pain, my pain is real, but my victory is real. And I am not going to live under these circumstances because when I'm under these circumstances, my head is looking down. I'm going to look up and get my strength from God Almighty. And that's where the joy comes from. And this makes the difference in a Christian who's joyful versus somebody who's just kind of going along through the motions. God wants us to draw on his joy, his be satisfied in him. Chuck Smendall further states, the belief, it is a confidence in God, the belief that he is at work, that he is in full control, that he is in the midst of whatever has happened, is happening, or will happen. The Bible talks a lot about joy. 1 Thessalonians 3.8, For now we really live. Since you are standing firm in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God for you? The source of our joy is the Lord himself. John 15, 5, Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. So where does our joy come from? It comes from God himself. Let's look at 1 Chronicles 16, 27, if you'll read this with me out loud. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy in his dwelling place. Look at that. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. So where do you want to go to get your joy? You want to go into the dwelling place of God. Look here at Psalm 1611. I love this verse. This has helped me in my life. Let's read it aloud together. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where is the fullness of joy? It's not in getting the new car. It's not in everything being perfect here on earth. It's not in your circumstances aligning to your plan. It is in the presence of God. In your presence. And if furthermore, if you want to have a life of pleasure, look what God says here. It says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where do we get our pleasure from? It's not from the things that we can see in this world. It is in the presence of God. At his right hand. We're, God's called us to be some people that are able to walk and draw on his strength. I like what John Piper says to this verse here. He says, in demanding our praise, God is demanding the completion of our pleasure. Isn't that awesome? God is demanding the completion of our, of our pleasure by telling you to be in his presence. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. 
Do you want to honor and glorify your, your Lord? Then be satisfied in Him. Hang out in His presence. Live in His presence. You know, I don't want to have... I have a quiet time in the morning, but I don't want to just have an hour in the morning where I have the presence of God. I want to have the presence of God all day long. I want 24 hours in the presence of God. I don't want to just have this joy that lasts in the morning. Okay, I did that, and now I go out of work, and, and there's no more joy. I want to have the presence of God in my life. And this is what he wants you to do. He wants you to walk in his light, walk in his presence. And so when you're at work, when you're at recreation, when you're doing whatever, you're in the presence of God Almighty and you, are, you have taken yourself into the presence of God. You have stopped dwelling on these circumstances and you have trusted in Him. And you're saying, God, give me your victory right now. Lord, I need to see your will. I need to see your plan and what's going on in my life at this moment. Lord, help me to shine your light while I'm out here today. This joy comes from being satisfied with Him. Paul later affirms the source of joy in Philippians 4.4 when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Would you say that with me? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That's a pretty powerful statement. You know, I remember as a kid we used to sing those songs around here, Rejoice in the Lord always. All right, and we did those songs, and, and the girls would have the round, Rejoice, rejoice. It was like, you know, it's really exciting things. And I never understood, why did he say rejoice in the Lord always? And let me say it again, rejoice. What other command in the Bible do we see that he repeats himself like that? Do not still. Let me say it again, do not still. It says rejoice. Let me say it again, rejoice. Why? Because we as believers living in this world, what do we tend to do? And we get our eyes off of Christ. What do we have to rejoice in? Well, let me just stop and remember what we have to rejoice in this morning. God wants us to stop and remember what we have. God is sitting on the throne in heaven. He is in all power. And as he is sitting on the throne of all power, he says that you get to come in and talk to him. That's a pretty powerful thought. There are angels standing in his presence with wings that are covering their entire body. And the light is so bright. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that he, God, dwells in an unapproachable light. And these angels are, are standing there in his presence. And in this bright light, God says that you are able to come into his presence boldly before the throne of God. What do we have to rejoice in? That's what we have to rejoice in. Over in Revelation chapter 4, it describes the throne of God as lightning and thunder and fire coming from his throne and all this great scene. And I want you to think of this because this is the reality of our Christian life. This great scene of the angels standing there, this bright light, of fire and lightning and thunder, and you and I get to go into this throne of God. We get to go boldly before the throne room of God. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Because those who don't have Christ, they don't have that. 
you get to rejoice because you get to go into the throne room of God. And he stops and he listens to you. We get to come boldly before the throne room of God. My pain is real. You have real pain in this life, but your victory is real. God has given you a real victory. God has not left you without his power, without his might. And so today, I want to challenge us as a church to this question here today. The question as we wrap up is this. Where does your joy come from? Where is your joy coming from? Have you been looking to the things of this world for your joy? Everything that's so temporary. Or have you been looking to the almighty God of the universe who says you get to come boldly before his throne and he cares about you. He died on the cross for you. He came back to life again for you. He gave you the Holy Spirit to seal you until the day of redemption. That's some pretty powerful stuff, children of God. You are his child. And he says that you get to talk to him at any moment's notice. This is an awesome, awesome thought. Where is your joy coming from? Are we looking to the things that are short-lived? Are we looking to the eternal? I want to challenge you this week to memorize that Psalm 1611. Maybe just jot it down here. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because as we take these verses and we put them into our mind, we now have We're able to have God's word with us and we're able to begin to live this out so that whenever you start to focus your joy in the wrong area, God's able to say, listen, he'll use his scripture and use it to remind you that you're looking for something that can only be found in his presence. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Maybe you need to start to pray today, God, help me this week to become a joyful servant of you. Help me to focus on your joy. As we close this morning, in our first service, we had a baptism. Wendy Naaman had a phenomenal baptism this morning, and they're all phenomenal. I think it's exciting when somebody stands up for God and says, I am ready, I am following Jesus Christ. And uh, so what we're going to do now is we're going to play her testimony just before we close. I want you to listen because it really does apply this morning. She found her joy in God. And as you watch this and take in this testimony, let's glorify our God. Hi, my name is Wendy Naaman. I have long lived my life as I thought I was supposed to. I was a good person, got married, had a career, and worked hard to attain success as defined by the American dream. I didn't go to church, but I thought as long as I did the right things, it was okay. At the age of 37, my world came tumbling down when my husband told me he wanted a divorce. I was blindsided. I thought we had a good marriage. I felt betrayed, alone, and like the best years of my life had been wasted with him. I remember the next day was the 4th of July, and I watched the Pittsburgh fireworks in tears, wondering how I could feel so alone in a city full of so many people. I was deeply depressed, alone, and empty. My divorce showed me that I needed more in my life. I knew I was strong and thought I could fix it myself. So I rebuilt my life as a single woman. I didn't need a man, and I fooled myself with that facade for a while, but I was still lonely. I buried myself in my job, and then for a period I thought meeting a great guy and getting married again was all I needed. But after some time, I realized no man could fill the hole in my life. Something bigger was missing. 
I had attended church up until college and quite frankly didn't get it. But lately something or someone seemed to be calling me. I was curious, so I thought I might try church again. I looked for a church, attending many churches in Pittsburgh, but never really felt like I belonged anywhere. Upon moving to South Park, I remembered my grandmother's church on the hill and how much she loved it. I always admired my grandmother, and I figured she must have been on to something, so I tentatively walked into Library Baptist Church and was immediately welcomed by so many people. I'm still touched to this day by how many people welcomed and said hi to me that day. I thought my work was done when I found the church, but God knew better. He knew with my shy nature I would be content to blend into the background and just attend church and think that was good enough. So I believe that God sent a mentor to me with a specific mission, to challenge me and help me to really commit to giving my life to Christ. My mentor and I met for several weeks studying a call to joy. Over those weeks, I began to understand that I needed to put my life into God's hands. God knew that I needed someone to lovingly nudge me. During one study session, my mentor shared with me an analogy of salvation being a brightly wrapped gift under the Christmas tree. I just had to open it to make it my own. I was intrigued by the present, but was afraid. Though I was happy to have found a church that I liked, I felt guilty that it took my divorce for me to turn to God, so I was holding back. If God wasn't good enough to be in my life during the good times, then what right did I have to ask Him to accept me now? Then during a sermon about Joseph and forgiveness, Pastor Arnold mentioned that many people are facing difficult situations when they seek God, and God will use those times to strengthen us. That really spoke to me. It didn't matter why I was turning to God, just that I was. He wanted me and His flock. It didn't matter what brought me there. I needed to stop overthinking it. God loves me unconditionally. Not long after that, I prayed the prayer of salvation and turned my life fully over to Christ. Christ has changed my life since I received the gift of salvation. First and foremost, I no longer feel alone. I know He is always with me. Secondly, He has helped take the worry from my life. Before I was so worried about my job, how I looked, did I have enough money, etc. Now I have given that all to God. I know that no matter what happens, God will take care of me. I have a newfound peace in my life. One particular event, particular event recently touched me. My best friend's mother passed away unexpectedly. It was a very tough and emotional time for them and me. But I had a moment of great clarity during the funeral service. My eyes were open to what it truly means to believe in Christ. When I said to them that their mother was in a better place and they will see her again, they were no longer empty words. I truly believe it now. The funeral, while still hard, brought me tremendous peace to finally realize that death on earth is not the end. We all have something much more glorious to look forward to. The Lord is teaching me now that I am special and He loves me, and that my heavenly life has just begun. That though I am a good person, that is not enough, and it's not enough to just attend church. That's just going through the motions. I now spend every morning in quiet time in prayer. And though my spiritual journey has just begun, I am so excited to see what is planned for me. I am learning that I am to live my life to serve Him and not for my personal wants. It is a day-by-day process, and I am growing in Christ and changing every day. But I know now that the best years of my life were not wasted on my broken marriage. My best years have just begun and are still to come with the Lord leading the way. I just have to follow.
not take your breath away, right? Wow. Let's stand together. We're going to have our invitation. We're going to sing together, and if you like to come and pray at the altar during this time, you just feel free to come.